The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Our scripture reading today is from Philippians 4, 14 through 23. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into the partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Thanks, Kelly. Well, this morning, um, I'm grateful to finish our letter uh, of the Philippians this morning with uh, you this Looking at this letter has been uh, beautiful and enriching to us. It, you know, some years ago, a friend of mine um, was undergoing a major surgery. He had, had found he had a brain tumor, and um, it was a, a, a real uh, blow to he and his family. Thankfully, he's doing fine now. Uh, they were able to take care of it. But during the time uh, he was in the hospital, it was, oh man, they had just had their uh, third child, and they were going through a lot. And, you know, sitting with him in the hospital was during a winter period when it was snowing outside, and, and um, I just remember sitting with him, one of my dearest friends, his head shaved, and joking with him when he could, when he was, uh, you know, awake, and, and all of those things, just difficult and excruciating learning, and trying to encourage he and his family as they walked through this. But one of the interesting events that occurred in that time was when he was... Um, Awake wanting to send a picture to a friend. He'd taken screenshots with his phone of, his, of the MRI, the x-rays of the tumor and wanted to send them to a friend. So he sends this text and he gets a text back saying, hey, I don't, I don't know who you were hoping to send this to, but I, you know, I hope it works out. That looks pretty tough. Well, he had accidentally switched two digits in his text and sent it to just a total stranger. What was fascinating, though, was the person on the other end, still to this day when I've talked to him, I don't, I don't even know who it was. I don't know if he ever really knew, but uh, apparently had had a very similar experience. So when they actually received the MRI, they were able to recognize exactly what it was and began to text back to him, um, even ongoing in his stay in the hospital, encouraging texts, a perfect stranger, <laughs> saying, gosh, I, I'm so sorry. It looks like a pretty gnarly tumor. It looks like something you're having to deal with. I understand that. And, and just going through that with this perfect stranger. And it was, it's an interesting thing because if you think about that, what, what, it created such empathy and encouragement for him while he was in the hospital. 
And such a rich moment to have this perfect stranger. Why? Why was it such a moment of care and empathy? Because they, they shared a traumatic event. There was something that impacted them both that drove that empathy and care. And here's what we end with. This is the very last part of Philippians. Paul has been in jail. He's writing a letter to a church. And to a church that's really supported him. You've probably read this if you've read any of Philippians or been here at church at, uh, on the mornings that we've read this. You've heard him talk about his joy, his expression for these people who have given to him. And he ends in that way. He uses this language over and over, this partnership of giving and receiving, this, this deep love that they have for one another. And it goes so far beyond just the everyday tangible, it, this empathy, this care. It goes into something more. It goes in the fact that they share a traumatic event. They sh- share this, this huge thing, and it's called the gospel. Look, there's a, so many questions revolving around Uh, the relevance of the church today and even of Christianity. And I don't know where all of you sit with those questions. I know some of you, and I've talked to you about some of those things. You may be in different places. But here's the number one thing to think about. If we're answering the question, and I recently was thinking about this, uh, just listening to some other pastors talk. If we're trying to answer the question of how relevant we are, we're missing it. If we're trying to answer the question of how Christianity just connects to everything first or how it's just, it it works pragmatically, we're missing it. The first thing it has to be is true in order for it to be workable at all. Christianity has to be something true. There has to be an event for this. In order for us to read this letter, to finish this letter of all this beauty, all this joy, all this connection and relationship, we end it. It's not just ending on a happy note for us to go do something. It has to end in a way that impacts us with a huge event that does change us through that. If we only come in here and talk about we need to connect it to this and that and this, it's not gonna work. We have to first know as a church is this true? Did this really happen? Did the Son of God come to these people through Paul and hear the good news for their lives that it so transformed them where they were that it changed the way that they live? Not, is this workable for us? And that's where Paul goes. That's where he finishes his letter. He says, yes, it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into a partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. That they have bought in. And I want to end this morning with us looking at a couple things. This passage, but couched in this is a passage that we've touched on barely, but I want to look at Acts chapter 16 because that chapter actually tells you who are the people that partnered? Who are these people that actually partnered with Paul in the midst of this? Who are these people that seemingly are like strangers and yet they have deep empathy and care because they've shared such a traumatic event that is the gospel? So if you'll open up as well to Acts chapter 16. Acts is a book, if you're in Philippians, you go just a little bit to the left. It's right after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. 
And it's called Acts because it's considered the Acts of the Apostles, those who actually carried forward the gospel. And we're going to look at uh, starting in verse 11 as well as we connect this to it. Now, notice in, in Philippians, as you kind of keep this here, he's talking about giving and receiving. He's talking about gifts. He's talking about money. He's talking about resources that are given. And where would those come th- from in Philippi? In Acts chapter 16, verse 11, it, it talks about a woman named Lydia. And this is saying about the gospel that works from the inside out, not the outside in. Listen to this. And from there, verse 12, from there to Philippi, which is the leading city in the district of Macedonia in a Roman colony, we remained in the city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her whole household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful in the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. You know, who was this woman? Lydia was, and you get a little bit of this sense there, as says a seller of purple goods, Thyatira. What that actually was speaking of is purple goods were highly expensive. She was very successful. And her business was successful. She had wealth and power. And not only that, she had religion. She had something in her life that she believed. She was a God-fearer, as they say. And people would go to rivers to pray. She would gather together and go with other women to pray. And if a speaker like Paul or someone would come into the city, they'd invite them to actually speak to them. It was like a traveling circuit. So imagine she and these other women sitting there and as someone who would eventually, seemingly, by her wealth and power, would be a contributor to the church. But what would transform her? It was the fact that Lydia so struggled and where she was of bettering herself. Think about this. She had the complete life. She had church in her life. She had success. She had wealth. She had a family unit that was together. We even read that at the end in her whole household. It looked like she had seemingly the great Instagram life. She's the one that you look at, that you follow, right? That you may not like, but you might like because there are also two million other people that like the same person. And she's the one that you follow and you see and you wonder, how's she doing her kitchen? How does she feed her children? How does she do her life so well? Why does it look so perfect? And it is. But what would Paul bring to her there? What would he say? He would say to her as he would stand and and speak to that crowd that what you need is not something that's going to be an extra supplement for your life that works in the betterment of what everything else you're doing, but something that works from the inside out, not outside in. You see, the difference is religion and such works from the outside in. It says, what can you do to make yourself well? We can be a lot of successful people in this room. You may identify with her and where she is, but think about that. Paul uses another verse here in Philippians even to say this, and I think he's, he's directing this in that to her and others. In verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases your credit. 
That word credit is not something that it meant, he's actually using business language there in the Greek. And he's not using it to say, your credit as in, you've done a good thing, you should feel good about yourself. He's actually talking about heavenly credit. And I would think you'd have this in mind that he's saying to her, look, look, Lydia, you may have your things in order. You may know what it means to go to this river over and over and to pray with others. But what you may be missing is the sacrifice on your behalf. You may sacrifice a million ways and you may have everything right, but that rightness will not make you better. The only thing that makes you you is in Christ. I love that even Paul uses that metaphor, business metaphors in in this letter to even speak to people like Lydia, to tell her that, to tell her what it means to live in him. Recently, Tim Keller, uh, who is a pastor in uh, New York City, was asked to address Parliament, which was really interesting. You can watch it on uh, um, YouTube. And some of what I've, uh, it, just listening to him internalize, and I've heard him several times before, but to hear him again in the midst of Parliament in the UK was fascinating. And they asked him to address a question And it was this, what can Christianity contribute to British society? And he begins it by saying, I'm so glad you had me uh, to answer this question as an American. That helps a lot, right? And, uh, And so he begins actually, what I thought was fascinating, if you watch it on the YouTube, he actually begins by not answering the question. He said this, let me begin with what you asked because I think it's actually a not correct question. Because if we begin with the whole question of is Christianity merely functional, then we're missing whether it's true or not. If we begin with what does it contribute to us only, then we're missing the impact of what it gives. Because what are those times and ways and days when it isn't functional to us? See, this is where Lydia lives. In the functional use of that religion. And what Paul would do is come in and explode those categories for her to say, it has to be more than that. It has to be more than just functional. It's more than just the Ten Commandments. It has to be the sacrifice. It's more than just coming to the table. It's recognizing this is Jesus' body and blood, not yours. It's the fact that he's laid his life down. And that is where so many of us live. I loved what Tim Keller said to them. He said, we lose the truth of it. And he went into this next. He said, one of the struggles of the American church and the European church is what it means versus the inherited church and the chosen church. You know, there are all these statistics right now about how the church is in decline, how Christianity is in decline in so many areas. But in other places in the world, it's actually on the incline. It's taking off. In a lot of ways that many people say, well, you know, how, why is it declining so much in our certain Western cultures? Well, a lot of that he's saying is because we have not, we, we've forgotten what it means to own our faith. What does it mean to be owned by the gospel? What is the impact, this traumatic event, and we've taken it instead and made it Functional. We've made it useful. I remember watching, um, and this is not to bash on Thomas the Train, but it is interesting. When I've seen Thomas the Train, 
And I watch Thomas the Train. You know Thomas the Train. Come on. You know what I'm talking about. My, my little kids have watched it. And one of the themes on Thomas the Train over and over when Thomas and Percy and all these trains that have freakish faces that talk to you, you know, when they're talking, the narrator is always saying that the, the theme at the end is, and he felt really useful. And I've always caught that and I thought, how much, as much as I'm watching that and, you know, my, my kids are watching that, how much do I believe that? How much do I believe that this has to be useful? If, I'm, if I feel useful, especially as a pastor, <laughs> if we feel useful, is that a place where we find that if I'm useful, if, that, if, I'm, if, I'm, if I'm successful, if things are working, if, if, it, if it looks balanced, if things are correct, then I know the gospel? This is where Paul's word comes in and it says here that God opened her heart to receive Paul's message and it transformed her. It freed her to know that the gospel doesn't work from outside in, it works from inside out and it will not change a thing about the way we live our lives. Look, all of us in this room want that Instagram life, may have that Instagram life, but here's the thing, none of it will we feel freedom from. We can't actually enjoy it unless we realize that this traumatic event of the gospel, traumatic, it's traumatic of the fact that this is a savior who didn't just come to say, you need to change things. You need to pray better. You need to do things more. He went to the cross and died. It was a traumatic event that moved her to say, come to my house and stay to Paul that would drive her to be one of these people in Philippians that would enter into the partnership and surely gave so much to it because it was a traumatic event, because it worked in her heart, inside out, that the credit that Paul said is not a credit to look good on this earth, but to know that your credit is in heaven. And they would move from this, even here, it's interesting, when I talk to... Even my children sometimes, one of the things that's, that I have to be reminded of that I say to them is we'll talk about why do I love you today? And it'll be interesting for them how much they, what they say back, you know. Is it because I made good choices today? Is it because of this? Is it because of that? Why do I love you today? Because you're mine. Because you're mine. Do you believe that the gospel, like Lydia, means that it's not that you're loved today because you did great, or you were just perfect, or that you're here this morning, you made it, (laughs) but that you're his? That's the traumatic event. That's what he's done. He's gone to those links to get you. In Acts, it even goes from the gospel working inside to out to even the gospel that brings you freedom. It's almost like there's a flashback in verse 16 of Acts chapter 16 when he says, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain in fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you in a way, the way of salvation. And this she kept doing many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. 
But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragging them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept practice. And the crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave them orders to beat them with rods. And after they'd inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison. You know, as they were walking along this way, uh, it's interesting because you read Paul gets annoyed. They, they meet this woman who continues to follow them. And notice Paul's annoyance isn't so much with her. It's, it's his, his annoyance with the spirit. Because apparently this slave girl had the spirit of the serpent. A serpent of divination, and it was called the spirit of the python. It was a myth of a a snake that was killed by Apollo uh, that was a symbol of the underworld. And basically, this fortune teller was following Paul and uh, Silas around and saying, um, they're servants of the Most High God. But it sounds like she's speaking to them in that way. But the language there, the Greek, is not that, that she believes that who they are. But she's trying to say, they may be other gods. Let's, let's herald them. And it's interesting because the slave girl, different, completely different than Lydia, <clears throat> isn't in control but out of control. She believes that her work, by submitting herself, by giving everything over to this, She becomes a slave to her owners. Whether to gain notoriety or success, whatever it may be, she has lost herself in the process. And Paul sees this. You know, she's living easily, as we, many of us do, under the lies, living within and in the chains bound of the lies that our culture and our workforce may tell us that we need to live in. And the... And, and, and a question for you is, how do we believe that? So many of you may be in industries here where you don't feel like you're doing success. You feel like you're a slave to it. Maybe you're in a place or a process or a, a relationship where you are, you are not freed up. You don't feel like Lydia as you're successful and you have this perfect, bettered picture. You have a difficult, shoddy, rough one. And it just continues to drag you over the rocks, longing for freedom. And you know what's fascinating is what Paul does for her here, is to free her. Free her from the spirit. He's not annoyed with her, he's annoyed with the spirit that has captivated her. So he calls it out. And notice the effect of it isn't just in her. It affects the economy of the city. It transforms it. A a friend of mine who's actually a pastor here in town was uh, in school, actually across the street at Vanderbilt at one point. He was there studying uh, before he had become a Christian, a follower of Jesus. He was actually studying oppressive theology. And one of the things he noticed that brought him to faith in Jesus was every time he studied about oppression theology, meaning that there's somebody that's oppressing us. It could be racial. It could be gender. It could be sexual. It could be anything, whatever it is. But he noticed every time that oppressor was taken down or there was worked around, there was another oppressor to meet that. There was always another oppressor behind that. 
that he could never get beyond. And it drove him to the good news of the gospel to say, how can honestly oppression be taken off? How can we really have freedom? Do we really experience freedom or do we experience relief when it comes to following Jesus? Many of us in this room may only feel relief. But the question here is, do we experience truly a freedom that the gospel brings, that it enters into our lives, it works into social concerns, our our deepest heart places to say, you are free from this, to bring you out from having to live under that law. See, we're all free from something. We're all free towards something. Every time we're trying to, maybe you're trying to find economic freedom, maybe in your, in your work. I mean, here's a city where, where so many in the city are, are, are holding two jobs because possibly most likely are in the entertainment industry or in other places or having to do certain things over and over. And you're always maybe in real estate, which is constantly doing the same. Where's the next thing? There's just a constant fight here in the city. You may be in those places where you feel you're just running over and over. And here's what's hap- happened in her life. When Paul frees her from the Spirit, it impacts her, but it impacts the whole city. They throw a riot. (laughs) It goes crazy. Because they can't believe that this gospel so impacted her that it impacts them. They said these laws, these customs that are not in accord. I am curious about how much the gospel of freedom, the true freedom, would really impact the city of Nashville if we really believed it. If we really believed it, would it impact not just our own freedom, not just relief every now and then, that, that it is a good thing, it's, good, it's not just good news for a moment, that it's good news for your entire life. It doesn't mean it's gonna solve that you need more jobs or more work or this or whatever it may be, but what it does is it gets into the places in you and it transforms the way that you really view freedom and know what, who the true oppressor is. It's not out there, it's in here. What I love about our church, that, and I've, I just mentioned this already, is eclectic neighborhoods moving together, is that you all, and this is why we celebrate our connect groups and celebrate so much of our church coming together on Sunday morning, is that we're going out into our different neighborhoods and we're celebrating. What does it look like? It looks different. Freedom looks different in different neighborhoods in our city. There are different ways that this impacts different people who are living in different places. But are we going into those? Are we living the gospel of freedom in those? And knowing that freedom comes in Christ. It comes through the one who has really thrown off the burden, not taking it on. It's amazing that he talks about these things in here even when he speaks in Philippians to them. And he talks about these gifts that they give and increase in credit. And he says, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. He uses two religious phrases, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice acceptable to let us know that where the freedom comes isn't necessarily In the gift, it's the fact that we have a God who's pleased. These are words and language that are saying we have a God who sees, 
who sees where we are, who knows the gifts, and he supplies every need in Christ. And my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And if that's not enough, if, if, if you don't have just Lydia and this slave girl who are her pitted together in this church, the last person is even more different from them. In verse 25 of Acts chapter 16, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we're all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. If there's anyone that's opposite of the other two, even, if you could even do that, it would be a pragmatic, crusty jailer. Imagine this. Paul is writing from prison to the Philippians. And imagine one of the people that would, understood the, would have understood that letter the best, everything that Paul's writing about, about being a partner, about entering in, about giving and receiving, about supplying every need, would be a Philippian jailer. Because he would have the experience of what it was like for Paul to even be in prison with him and say, man, I bet, don't you know that Philippian jailer was thinking, gosh, those guys in that Roman prison where Paul is don't even know what's coming. He speaks about sharing his trouble. And in this, here's what's beautiful in this story of this jailer, the character of him, the practical man, living as a virtuous Roman. That was, for him to take his sword and to take his own life was very common. If you lost your prisoners, you would have come under just as, as harsh of a critique from, from the Roman guard. For him to live in that way. So how, does, how do Paul and Silas care for him? How is he converted? They've sat in this cell for however long, singing and worshiping, He's heard all the music. He doesn't come and say, what's that music? Just like at, at vacation Bible school. What changes this jailer is when they have the opportunity for self-preservation, they stay in the jail. What transforms this jailer who is incredibly pragmatic, who says, how does how this functional? I don't get it, is when he sees how the gospel breaks through his functional heart that they stay that they don't leave that they don't walk away when they get a chance As the gospel says you know what we're willing to stay in these prison walls to show you that our gospel is bigger than this the good news of Christ is a traumatic event that is much bigger and much more beautiful to help us show you empathy and care of what it means. How many of us have people that sit with us? And how do we know to sit with others in all of what's going on in our lives?
We can be so quick with a word or so quick to think that we need to have the answer for everything. But how are we showing the truth of Jesus in those places? Dorothy Sayers, who wrote a a great treatise, a, a British theologian actually, called Why Work? And she talks about what it's like for so many that come to church. She says about a carpenter who comes to attend a church and receives little guidance other than to don't be drunk or disorderly in your leisure hours and just make sure you come to church on Sundays. But Dorothy Sayers says church should instead remind the carpenter that he, is, he can best serve God by making good tables. What does it mean for us to quietly be to be with those who are hurting. To be with those who believe that, how is Christianity functional? What breaks through that is knowing that we have a, a God in any way. Is this table just functional? If it is, then we're missing it. Is it practical that a man 2,000 years ago took up a cross and allowed himself to be crucified for us. But that event is what brought these three unique, eclectic, completely different people together so that when Paul finished his letter to the Philippians, he is writing to them, to each of them, unique partners, unique fellowship, unique receivers and givers of the gospel of grace that coming to this table, talking about its uniqueness, the partnership we share in coming to this table is the fact that we could be miles apart. Look, there, we share more in the blood of Jesus than we might with those who are not in our own, that are maybe in our own bloodline and families that may not know Jesus. Have you ever thought of that? Because this is so real. It's not just functional. It's true. And so in order to come take it, we have to believe that. It transforms us to believe that. It transforms three odd people to come and surround the table. Look, you're going to come forward with people you may or may not know around you. I would encourage you this time in communion to come and look around you, see the faces passing by you in the aisle and take a moment for it to drive you to think the gospel of Jesus Christ, this good news is much bigger and much more traumatic than me. That's the partnership if you really want it to impact you. And if you're here this morning and you may be kind of going, I don't know where I sit with this. With integrity, don't come forward. Or if you do come forward, fold your hands and receive prayer. And let's talk more about that because I don't want you to come take this meal as functional. That's what it would be. It would just be taking bread and wine. Don't do it. Let it be true. Let it be real before you do so. Let's stand now.